Welcome to the Inspirational Living Podcast. It's been said that variety is the spice of life. And that's certainly true for a lot of things, including the Simple Habit app, which offers a huge variety of guided meditations to improve your life, as well as a great variety of professional meditation experts. In total, Simple Habit features over 100 meditation experts who provide you with short meditations that you can enjoy anywhere you have your smartphone, including meditations on how to live happier, grow more self-confident, improve your personal relationships, reduce anxiety, sleep more soundly, and more. With over 65,000 five-star reviews at the iTunes and Android stores, you know that Simple Habit is making a positive difference in people's lives. And it can make a difference in your life, too. In addition to taking advantage of their free meditations, you can now unlock over a thousand additional meditations at a 30% discount by going to simplehabit.com slash living. Once again, that's simplehabit.com slash living. Thank you. Today's reading was edited and adapted from Secrets of Mental Supremacy by W.R.C. Latson, published in 1913. The value of any person to themselves and to the world at large depends in great degree upon their memory, upon your ability to recall and to use at any desired moment the recollection of what you have seen, heard, experienced, or thought. Memory is really the stock in trade of our mental life. Our perceptions bring to us a vast mass of experiences, things that we have seen, heard, touched, tasted, and smelled, our thoughts and experiences. But these things are valuable only when they are held in the memory, for unless they are remembered, they cannot be used. Most of us have forgotten much more than we remember. We have studied at school, at college, at home. We have read many, many books. We have had any number of interesting and instructive conversations. We have, some of us, traveled and seen many rare and curious things. And of it all, how much is in our possession at the moment? How much is at our ready command? Not one-tenth probably not one hundredth. Imagine the enormous loss to us. Imagine the waste of time and effort. Imagine what it would mean to you or to me if, instead of possessing a memory which preserved for us only one hundredth of our experiences, we could remember and apply at will one half, three quarters, four fifths of what we have been through. But that is impossible, you say. Allow me to contradict you. There have been many cases of recollective power which prove otherwise. 
The most striking of these was Antonio Magliabecci, who lived in Italy in the 17th century. From being a mere servant, he rose until he became the librarian to the Grand Duke of Tuscany. Magliabecci's memory was prodigious. Nothing that he had ever seen or heard or experienced was ever lost to him. It is said that after one reading he could repeat verbatim any book in the library of his patron, who at the time owned one of the largest collections of the day. Impossible, you say? Not at all. I know a man who can neither read nor write except to sign his name. He is an Irishman who began life in this country with a pick and a shovel. Today he is a man of wealth and power, financially and politically. He is a contractor, real estate operator, and is interested in several other lines of business. He keeps no books and employs no bookkeepers. All his values, dates, and figures are carried in his head. And at any moment he can tell you to a cent how he stands with any of his business associates. Whether one's ambition be literary, artistic, scientific, or as an entrepreneur, as a practical asset, power of memory is of the highest conceivable value. A good memory will give you an incalculable advantage over others, an advantage which no other mental qualification will balance. Memory training is not difficult. The mind is like potter's clay. It is easily molded, and there is no direction in which development is so easy as in the department of memory. Even a few days of practice along the lines which I shall suggest will generally make a noticeable difference, and two or three months of conscientious training will often be sufficient to transform a poor, weak and inexact memory into one that is tenacious and reliable. In the first place, it should be noted that in reality there is no such thing as the memory. This might sound outlandish, but it is a statement of sober fact. There is no memory per se. There are only memories. When I say that, I am not merely juggling with terms. The difference is important and fundamental. What I mean is this. Memory is not, as we used to be taught many years ago a little section of the brain to be developed all by itself. Not at all. Memory is merely a term used to describe the way that certain acts or thoughts tend to remain in the mind. And every act or thought has its own separate little memory. Some acts or thoughts we remember easily. Other acts or thoughts we remember with difficulty, if at all. Some people have a good memory for names, but cannot recall faces. Others can remember dates, but have no power to recollect names, and so on. We remember best the things in which we have most interest, the things with which we are most familiar. The little memory of any act or thought may stick in the mind, or it may not. 
Whether it is or is not remembered depends mainly upon the amount of attention we have given to that act or that thought at the time it was occurring. If therefore we would have fine powers of memory, if we desire a large supply of clear vivid memories all under instant command, it is essential that we should pay to the thing we wish to remember, strict attention and careful study. And this is really the great secret of what is called good memory. In other words, a memory is simply a permanency, a recurrence of a perception. And that memory is clear and complete just in proportion as the perception was clear and complete. If on an introduction to a stranger I scarcely glance at their face and pay little or no attention to the name, I am not likely to remember either the person or the name. If on the other hand I look closely at them and attend carefully to the name, I shall be likely to remember it perhaps for years. I myself frequently have been introduced to 25 or 30 strangers in the course of an evening, and I am usually able afterward to recall all or nearly all of their names and faces. This is merely the result of a habit of attention to the matter. Now then, based on the principle just discussed, we may formulate our first rule for the development of memory. Study the object you wish to remember in all its phases, in all its peculiarities, in all its relations. For the time being, keep every other thought out of the mind. Make the object part of yourself, and you will never forget it. I say object, but I mean of course anything fact, figure, idea, principle, or plan, to all of which the same rule applies. So much for the rule. Now you would like to know exactly how to apply this rule to practical development. Well, one of the best ways I know is the following. Let's say you are walking down the street and come to a shop window, the window of a toy shop, for example. Don't stop to look closely at the toys in the window. That will merely confuse you. Take one glance at it and pass on. Then ask yourself what you saw in the window. If practical, have a pad and pencil. And write down each article as you remember it. This is the method employed by the famous magician Robert Houdin a method by which he so trained the memory of both himself and his young son that they were able to remember over 30,000 questions and answers. Another valuable method of memory training is to make it a rule every night, either before or after retiring, to review in detail the events of the day. This was the method employed by the great Edward Thurlow, Lord High Chancellor of Great Britain. At first his memory was so poor that he was unable to recall what he had eaten for breakfast. Eventually, however, he developed one of the most remarkable memories on record. I know a number of cases in which this method has proven of the utmost value. Another simple and convenient 
but at the same time very useful method of cultivating the power of recollection is the following. Take some interesting book, such as a historical work or some attractive novel. Read a paragraph to yourself slowly and carefully. Then close the book and repeat out loud the substance of the section which you have just read. Make no attempt to repeat the passage word for word. Simply give the sense of it as you remember. It matters little whether you repeat the author's words or use your own. After your first attempt, which is not likely to be a striking success, read the paragraph again and make a second effort to recall and express its general meaning. When you have learned this paragraph fairly well, pass on to the next, and so on, until you come to the last paragraph on the page. Then take that page as your task, and give an account of the entire page. After practicing this way on every paragraph, and every page until the end of the chapter, take the chapter as a whole and repeat it as fully and exactly as you can. This seems like hard work, and it is at first, but it soon becomes interesting, especially as you begin to find that, although at first you were unable to give any clear idea of a paragraph you had just read, you are soon able to recall and do clearly express the sense of an entire chapter without any great effort or difficulty. This exercise trains not only the memory, but the perceptions, the will, and the powers of expression. So far as I know, it was invented by the statesman Henry Clay in his early farm boy days and was often quoted by him as being the method which had done most toward developing his prodigious memory and splendid oratorical ability. A valuable variation of this exercise is to write out at length, instead of attempting to express in spoken words your recollection of the paragraph, the page, the chapter. For those who desire the widest development, a development of the power of expression in writing as well as in speech, I should suggest that you practice this exercise by both talking and writing your memories of the passage. By the time you have gone over one book in this way, talking out certain passages and writing others, you will not only know that book in a way that few people ever know any book, but you will have developed added powers of attention, willpower, memory, and expression, which will prove a surprise and a delight to you. The Inspirational Living Podcast is a production of The Living Hour. Get your own private feed to our podcast with full transcripts delivered right to your smartphone by becoming our patron today. It costs less than a cup of coffee a month and will ensure the production of our podcast for years to come. Visit livinghour.org patron. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you next time.